0: Tonight, I want to preach to you a sermon that has been 37 years in the making, 37 years in the making. It's titled, Borrowed Bibles and Family Heirlooms, Borrowed Bibles and Family Heirlooms. And I'm, I'm not sure when. This little dollar store Bible came into my possession, but it was in this Bible that I preached during Youth World. I've I've even got some notes here. Effective prayer. We're not going to preach about that tonight, but it was in this Bible that I wrote the earth-shattering notes that happened during a youth camp. It was in this Bible that is broken, torn and tattered that I experienced for the first time the joy of Psalm 150 and praise and adoration to our king. And this Bible is not my Bible. It is a borrowed Bible and it says so. Right here in the beginning it says this Bible is presented to Belinda. I For those of you who may be wondering, am not Belinda. But this Bible was a gift to Belinda by a very special person and it turned around and came back to my mother because she did not have a Bible and so somehow this borrowed Bible came into my possession. In the front of this Bible here, we see the elegant handwriting of my grandmother Presented to my beloved husband, Theodore O. Henderson, for his 21st birthday, December 1st, 1965, by his loving wife, Cheryl L. Henderson. Beneath that, a little more masculine handwriting to Terry on his 21st from dad. And then on the next page, to Chris for his 21st birthday. Pass on this word of God. It is good. God is with you in all things. Call on Him. We will not always be here, but He is everlasting. Love, Mom and Dad. It's somewhat of a family heirloom that we have here with us tonight, and this Bible and others are scattered about my daily life, and they are important to me because of whom they belong to. They are important because they're family heirlooms. Corbett will get this Bible on his 21st birthday. And Wyatt, I've got a Bible for you on your 21st birthday. Because this word of God is good. But more importantly than the fact that this is a family heirloom, this Bible is good because it contains the inspired, the infallible. The inerrant word of God. And at some point in this life, I had to decide that this was not going to be just a borrowed Bible or a family heirloom. But this Bible was going to take root into my heart. That this Bible was going to take root into my life. That this Bible was going to become part of the fiber of my being. The Bible is not a charm. It is not a fetish. It is not a book that will work wonders by its very present. Just because it's in the room doesn't mean that it's going to do what you need it to do. But I promise you that if you take this old book we call the Bible, and if you read it and you apply it and you act on it in faith, in sincerity, that it will work wonders in every life, both now and then and forever. I promise you that if you need a way and you come to this book right here, that this book will provide the way. I promise you that if you need an answer and you come to this book, that this book will provide an answer for you. Theologians say that this book is meant for reading in public. And private reading is okay, but the more we remove the public reading of this book from our lives, the further we remove it from its intended purpose. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter number six, verse number four. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4 is not an unfamiliar portion of Scripture for us here tonight, but I want us to, in concert, read it together. You ready? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Yes. And these words which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. Verse seven, everyone read, and thou shalt teach them and shalt talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. My home church pastor, Bishop Arliss Glass, had a really unique practice with this little portion of scripture, he would wake up every morning and say, hear, O oh Arliss, the Lord your God is one Lord. And I find myself sometimes waking up in the morning and saying, hear, oh Chris, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And you've got to teach this book to your sons, Chris, and you've got to talk about this book when you're walking by the way and when you're sitting in your house and when you're, when you're lying down, this book has got to be bound, scripture says, as frontlets between your eyes. Would you lift your voices and let's pray that his word would have free reign in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your kingdom, God, to be a part of your glory. I pray that your preached word would take root in our hearts, that it would grow in our lives and become part of the fiber of our beings, Jesus, that we would talk about it, that we would think about it, that we would teach it everywhere that we go, God. We'll be quick to give you praise and glory and honor for it. In Jesus' name, turn to your neighbor and say, family heirlooms, and borrowed Bibles. It was July of 1961 when the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first day of training camp. The previous season had ended in a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter, and lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Green Bay players no doubt had been thinking of this brutal loss for the entire offseason, and now, finally, training camp had arrived. It was time to run drills It was time to put on the pads. It was time to break the sweat and to to get their bodies conditioned again to make a 16-week season. And the players were eager to advance their game to the next level and began working on the details that would help them win their next championship. And Vince Lombardi, their coach, had a tradition. He walked into the locker room the very first day of training camp He held up a football in his hand, and he said, Gentlemen, this is a football. It seemed a little bit silly for him to tell 38 professional players that this is a football, but he said, this is a football, and it all starts and ends with this ball right here. It's the fundamentals that are going to get us through this next season. Let me submit to you that Mr. Lombardi understood something that if we can understand in this church that we will execute and win this city. We will be able to have revival in this city if we can just understand that this is a Bible. Calvary Tabernacle, this is a Bible. It starts with this book right here. It ends with this book right here. Our services begin with this book. Our services end with this book right here. And should we ever get away from this book, God forbid we will lose everything. But when we put this book at the center and the forefront of everything that we do, there is no telling what God will do in our midst. There's no telling what cancers he won't heal. There's no telling what broken marriages he won't fix. There's no telling what mountain he won't move when we get back to the fundamentals. When we understand that this book right here is everything that it's about, I'm telling you, Calvary Tabernacle, that when we understand that this book is where it's at, we've got to understand and execute the fundamentals. In the same way that a few months later, the Green Bay Packers Beat the New York Giants 37 to 0. I'm telling you, Calvary Tabernacle, that we will experience revival with multiple services on Sunday, with multiple home groups going all over the place. I'm telling you that when we get Bible studies on Wednesday night in our hearts and in our minds and we start executing and sharing the fundamentals... The Green Bay Packers became the best team in the league because they understood and executed the fundamentals. The only way that we are going to become the best church in this city is to understand and execute the fundamentals. I don't have a crazy revelatory message tonight, but what I've got is this book that says, "Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. What I've got is this book right here that says, If you pass this on to your children, they'll be all right in the middle of adversity. What I've got is this book right here that says, When you're walking by the way and your neighbor needs a little bit of help, when you execute and share these fundamentals right here, they'll be all right. What I've got is a book right here that says when we come out from the world and are holy and separate, that we will have the power of God to be called up into heaven when he comes back one day. What I've got is this book right here. This is a Bible. This Bible is inspired by God. It is protected by God. It is powerful. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its decisions are immutable. You want to be wise? Read this book. You want to be holy? Practice this book. You want to see the light? Find it in this book. You want to know the way? Find it in this book. I'm telling you, Calvary, when we find a love for this book, a passion for this book, If you need comfort, it's right here in this book. Scripture was written over a 1,500-year span. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a long time. 1,500 years in various moods and at various locations by more than 40 authors. Can we just take a moment and appreciate the grandeur of this book right here? This book... This book was written by farmers. This book was written by shepherds. This book was written by kings and poets and fishermen and those trained in the finest schools of their day and the wisest man that ever walked this earth. This book was written from diverse backgrounds and translated for us today with no contradiction in theology. With no contradiction in detail, the Bible was written in prisons and in exile and in caves and on hillsides and in palaces. Scripture was written in joy and in sorrow, in despair and in confusion. Yet despite all of this, its prescriptions for life are constant throughout the entire book. While treating hot-button issues of humanity like divorce and sexuality and adultery and authority and honesty and parenting. Every single writer holds the same theology. Can I tell you that man is incapable of orchestrating that. This book is inspired by God. It contains and presents the single unfolding story of God's redemption of humanity. Thank you, Jesus, for this book. Thank you, Jesus, for this book. Jesus, in your name. Theologians say that to properly understand Scripture, you have got to stand under Scripture. To properly understand Scripture, we have got to stand under Scripture. What that means is when I walk into my house after a long day's work, I've got to let Scripture govern my response. What that means is when I walk into the office on Monday morning, Brother Gallion, and you've got a project for me that I really need to get done by noon that day, I've got to let Scripture govern my response. What that means is when I'm walking down the road and we're talking with my boys in the neighborhood and they ask me a question, I can't tell them what I want to say. I've got to tell them what this book says. When, when they say, Dad, what about God? I've got to be able to say, let me tell you about God. He's one Lord. And he's not just one God, but he robed himself in flesh. And he didn't just robe himself in flesh. He lived a perfect life, and he didn't just live a perfect life, but he hung on a cross for your sins and for mine. What I've got to do is understand Scripture by standing under Scripture. That's what it means when it says, Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, soul, and with all thy might. Calvary, if we are going to be the church that God is calling us to be, then we have to merely live our lives for Scripture, but we also have to give our lives for Scripture. If you're going to build a life, build it on the Bible. If you're going to build a home, Calvary, build it on the bible. If you're going to preach, Grantland, preach the bible. If you're going to sing, sing the bible. If you're going to pray, pray the bible. Why why, why are you so geared up about the bible, Chris? Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If we keep going down a little bit, The writer of John goes to Moses. And I love that he goes to Moses because it was Moses, remember? No man can see God. Moses asked, can I see God? No man can see God at any time. But what John 14 says that we beheld the glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Folks, Jesus Christ is the object of this book. But it's not just Jesus Christ. It's his love for us. It's his love and dedication to humanity. Take your book, your Bible, and open it right down the center. We're going to come probably to Psalms. It's the longest book of the Bible and the longest chapter in the longest book of the Bible is about 176 verses and 172 of those verses are about God's word. Thy, the entrance of thy words giveth, un, giveth life. It giveth understanding to the simple. I rejoice at the word as one that findeth great spoil. Hebrews 4:12 says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow of the bone and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In this book, in Scripture, heaven is opened. In this book, the gates Of hell are disclosed. Christ is this book's grand subject, and our good is its design, and the glory of God is its end. This book should fill our memory, it should rule our hearts, it should guide our feet in righteousness and in true holiness. But let's revisit this borrowed Bible. In one conversation with my mom, I asked, why, did, why didn't I get this Bible? And she said, because you didn't have one. It was a simple answer. You didn't have one. I mean, it's, it's one of them dollar store Bibles. The front cover is busted and, I mean, the spine is broken. Oh, whoops. It's falling apart. But what I really want to drive home tonight about the beauty of borrowed Bibles and family heirlooms is that there is a pastor's wife in Green River, Wyoming. There is a promotions director at Indiana Bible College. There is a junior Bible quiz team who took Sister Golden, what, second or third, fourth, somewhere. They go to nationals all the time. They're in first. Why? Because someone shared this book. There's an assistant pastor, a church planner's wife. And who else knows the reach of one person letting another person borrow this Bible? Let me tell you that every single time we offer this Bible to someone, it is precious. Every single time that we tell someone about this word, it makes a difference. We have got to share this book. We've got to share this book. We've got to share this book. book. This book is God's inspired revelation. It's written in the most simple human language so that even the kids can understand. Yet it is so deep that the smartest people in the world can never begin to scrape the depths of this book. We've got to share this book. Let's revisit the family heirloom because as we know, it was written in the front to my beloved husband, Theodore Oliver Henderson, for his 21st birthday. Papa at 21 was a preacher. No doubt if we opened this up, we could see some underlines and some arrows and some thoughts that he put in this book. But just underneath that, there's a short, simple phrase to Terry on his 21st. While dad is now a bivocational pastor in Green River, Wyoming, he was not always in ministry. You see, Terry on his 21st was a much different man than he is today. But my grandparents made a conscious decision to pass this book, to share this book. And Terry Lee was a very different man at 21. He lived a life that he wanted to live. He didn't have church. He didn't have Christ. He didn't have the things that we honor and reverence at the forefront of his brain. He was a backslidden apostolic preacher's son who someone decided needed a word. And it may have seemed fitting For Papa to pass this book, this family heirloom down to Uncle Brian who showed all the promise of being a preacher, who was in the youth choir and singing and and did everything just right, it may have made more sense for Papa and Grandma to say, this book goes to you, Brian, but I'm so thankful that they said, this book goes to Terry on his 21st. I'm so thankful that they said, you know what? It it may not make sense, but this word is promises. These promises contained in this book are not just for preachers. The promises contained in this book are not just for worship leaders and for praise singers and for musicians and for platform ministry. I'm here to tell you that the promises contained in this book are for every single person. The promises contained in this book are for you and they're for your children and they're for everybody that is afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promises contained in this book for a holy life are for you and they're for your neighbors and they're for everyone in your life. I am who you see today because someone shared the word of God because someone taught them diligently, taught this word diligently to their children. But I'm going to tell you, it's the response to God's word that dictates what he does. It's our response to the written, inspired word of God because in 1 Samuel 13, we see that Saul gets a word from Samuel at Gilgal. We all can read the story in our bibles and the kingdom is rent from Saul because he didn't obey the word of god but david a man after god's own heart he didn't obey it either but it was his response to the word it was his response to what samuel said to what nathan said when he said david you're the man When Nathan, the prophet, walked in there and said, there's this story about some sheep I want to tell you, David. And David says, what? you got to be kidding. That man's going to pay. Nathan looks at him and says, David, you are the man. David's response to the word of God is what made him a man after God's own heart. So let me tell you a little bit about this word. Because in Acts chapter number two, verse number 38, we find what we've got to do in order to get to heaven. That's what this book is all about, It's about God's unfolding love story for us. And when we flip back to the end of Revelation and, and we start reading and it's like, I don't understand anything going on here. What? <laughs> Glass seas and, and beasts coming up out of them. They got seven heads and six horns, and I don't get any of that. Let me, let me tell you what you need to know about Revelation. Streets of gold. Let me tell you what you need to know about Revelation. Gates of Pearl. Let me tell you what you need to understand about the very last book of this Bible and that that is there's no moon, there's no sun because his glory is going to be the light. One day he's coming with a shout and one day he's calling us home and if we've lived and obeyed this book then we're going to be caught up with him. In the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be walking on streets of gold. And forever, we're going to be singing with the angels and the seraphims. Holy, holy, holy to your name. We're going to cast our crown with the 420 elders, and we're going to say, God, you are worthy of it all. God, you are worthy of it all. But I want my response here to mirror my response there. So I lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting, and I say, God, you are worthy. I say, God, God. You are worthy. I say, God, rule in my life. Reign in my life. Have your way in my life. God, I want to take this book and I want to stand under this book. I want this book to govern my response. I want this book to tell me how I should talk, to tell me how I should dress, to tell me how I should be saved. And when you've repented of your sins, And when you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But I'm going to tell you again, I've already told you before, that promise is not just for you. That promise is not just for 902 Fletcher Avenue. That promise is not just for Indianapolis, Indiana. But that promise is for some place in Africa. That promise is for some place in Russia. That promise is for some place, somewhere where someone is crying out and saying, "God, I need you." And this book right here that's been preserved and kept and inspired, will lead and guide any person who is willing to stand under it. As musicians come, we can all stand. At some point in your life, you've got to make up in your mind, these are not just family heirlooms and borrowed Bibles. But at some point, you've got to make up in your mind and in your heart that this is for me, that these promises are mine, that I can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that I can be forgiven, that I can be healed. So I want to give every single person an opportunity to stand under Scripture today because what we've got to do is talk about this stuff. When we go home, we've got to talk about the Word of God. When we are driving on the way to school, we've got to talk about the Word of God. When we are in our, on our daily routine, we've got to think about the Word of God. When we go to sleep at night, we should be thinking on the things of God. And I know it seems so old-fashioned, but let me tell you, when this book comes into your life and into your heart, when this book governs your passions, I'm telling you there's something that you just can't get away because it's so deep that we'll never be able to mind the depths of it. But Bubba, a hundred days in a row, I don't know if you know this or not, but a hundred days in a row today, you and mom and dad, what have we been doing? A U version plan. I- I'm going to tell you, I-, I know exactly how many days I've been in Scripture consecutively because my personality type likes to have little check boxes. And for all of my life growing up, I thought, well, you can't have a checkbox for Scripture because then it's just a checkbox. But the moment that I realized that that's how I get satisfaction is from checking off the to-do I started. And to see the number grow. And to see that this word in my life means more to me than anything else. That the promises contained in this book mean more than anything else. I'm telling you, Calvary, we have got to get to the place where this book governs our hearts and our lives. That's why I love so much on Wednesdays that we are... Learning how to give home Bible studies, just the practical nuts and bolts of it to say, this is how you do it. So let me explain to you how you can respond today. If you've not received the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's simple repent, be baptized. And as you clean everything out of you, as you ask for forgiveness, and God washes away all of those sins, and He comes into your heart and into your life, you will begin to speak with other tongues. James says the tongue is an unruly member and no man can tame it. But I'm so thankful that God can tame our tongues and that we will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives us utterance. That's a good place to stand under Scripture tonight. But maybe you have done that. God is never upset when we come back to Him and we say, Lord, I'm here again just to rededicate myself. There's not a a day that goes by, baby, that I don't try and tell you I love you or you look beautiful. Why? Because she matters to me. But there's not a day that goes by that I don't want to say, I love you, Jesus. Why? Because He matters to me. Because He saved my soul. So with every hand lifted and every eye closed, I, I ask that this whole place would just become an altar where we can say, Lord, lead our hearts guide our hearts, Jesus.